Hello, welcome to the PC Gamer UK podcast. My name is Sammy Roberts and I'm the editor of PC Gamer and I'm joined today by Phil Savage, Tom Senior, Andy Kelly. We got rid of the job titles. Yay. Yay. We're doing podcasts properly. Right. Okay, cool. We've got a whole bunch of new games to talk about today. Uh, we've all been playing some different stuff, uh, starting with Tom Senior, who's been playing Total War Warhammer, the long-awaited Creative Assembly fantasy mashup. Tom, how are you finding it? It I've seems like your game, the game made for you. Yeah, the, the, it's great because loads of different developers are making games exactly for me. <laughs> uh, so I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, it's, it's a crossover. There's two kind of entities that should have it should have come together by now already, like Total yeah. War and Warhammer should have feels like it should have happened feels like, a really natural fit yeah it's, it's just such a it's such a good match for that world and that that formula strategy gaming Total War of course if you don't know it's um, turn based uh, kind of strategic layer uh, and then when battles happen they're big huge real time battles with thousands of things on either side and uh, there's a, a huge death ball and uh, that's how you win so it sounds like um, from uh, what I've been reading about it that they've made quite a lot of uh, adjustments to the uh, Total War uh, formula to accommodate Warhammer. Like there's very very distinctive different sides with um, their own sort of abilities and, and, and ways to react to the uh, changing battle. Yeah, probably the best thing about it is that there are four playable factions and they're all very very different from each other. So you've got the Empire, who are very very familiar uh, kind of historical type army with you know, swordmen, spearsmen, bowmen. Uh, and eventually a kind of giant cannon tank thing. Um, but the other armies uh, are very unconventional. Uh, so you've got the vampire counts, who obviously they just raise loads of undead. have got loads of skeletons and, and kind of uh, whites and things like that. And they've got no missile units at all, so they're never ever going to be able to do any ranged things. They're equivalent of missile units of giant bats that you can <laughs> make them just fly into enemy like faces. Vargals or something them. like that? Yeah, mm. these giant flying kind of werewolf vampire monsters. They're pretty good as well. Um, and can't they? Um, one of the coolest things I read was like when you've uh, there's been like a big battle, you can go there and just raise loads of undead from the the people who died there. Is yeah, that right? the more people who have died in a province, the cooler shit you can raise out of the ground <laughs> as a necromancer, which is a really really nice touch. You also kind of spread vampiric corruption, uh, which makes people people feel. It gives them the heebie-jeebies, basically, and that, that does stat da, stat defects to them. What's that official stat beef? That is, that's the heebie-jeebies. Uh, What's the um, for the uninitiated? To, uh, I don't really know anything about Warhammer. Is there anything that separates it from other fantasy, you can, high fantasy stuff? You can stuff? tell Andy doesn't know anything about Warhammer because he pronounces it Warhammer. Warhammer. Re- really Warhammer. Two. Yeah. I also know for a fact that Andy wanted to bring his phone during this segment because <laughs> he doesn't care about strategy yeah. games. Well, I don't but... really know about... I don't really like Total War that much and I don't really know much about Warhammer, but Warhammer. <laughs> what, um, what, is, what is the uh, USP of Warhammer? Uh, it's kind of a grab bag of every fantasy trope monster villain hero uh, thing you can think of from kind of modern uh, from fairy tales through to orcs through to vampires and things like that all kind of in one universe and then dialed up to just absurd levels just big huge caricature levels uh, so it's, it's just a it's like Lord of the Rings but if everything was vivid and a bit sillier and had a bit of a sense of humour to it yeah uh, our, our reviewer Jodie McGregor approximated it really well by I think uh, describing it as like like a, a mixture of like old fantasy books with kind of like 2000 AD comics on top of it. I was going to say yeah. that. It reminds me of that kind of uh, British comic book style, I mm. guess, because it is British, isn't it? Warhammer. Yeah, there's yeah. something very, very British about it. It's quite hard to define as a kind of uh, a kind of sense of humour, tongue in cheek kind of, uh, and sort of. Mm. It's very extreme and quite metal in a lot of ways as well. Which is when you look at the chaos guys, who are just skulls everywhere, and uh, if you fly over the campaign map in Total War Warhammer, they've just carved giant skulls in the mountains. It's like, who did that? <laughs> it's like a heavy metal album cover. Yeah, pretty much. Yes. Life. 
Is 40k, is like Warhammer Fantasy as batshit as 40k? Because I've played quite a bit of Dawn of War, so that's. that's <laughs> I, my... I think it's less weird than 40k, Definitely, personally. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's because it, it, with elves and orcs, there's only so much you can yeah. do. Uh, but with the kind of sci fi angle on top of it, 40k gets to do a lot more stupid stuff. What is it about Space Marines that you defined in your kind of like, did you know this about Space Marine stuff? They've got three hearts, is it? Yeah, they've got three hearts. They've uh, got like loads of stomachs. Um, <laughs> They can, the best thing about them is that they, uh, when they eat an animal, they can gain its memories. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if they eat a rat, they just play by the rules. Yeah. <laughs> so if they eat a rat, they just have memories of scuttling around in the in a sewer, and they might get it might get valuable intel from that. So, <laughs> oh yeah, because yeah. like yeah, like yeah you can use eat. animals' memories as like intel yeah. gathering. That's yeah. fine and all, but like, that means if you go to grill stock, you're just reminiscing about eating <laughs> yeah. some grass in a field. For- <laughs> yeah. Grillstock, I should say, is a is a meat a meat based restaurant that uh, that is in Bath. Just in case you didn't know what that was, <laughs> that we frequent. Yeah, it's not part of Warhammer lore as I uh, as I understand no, it. No, Does an orc yet. count as um, an animal in that regards? So if you ate an orc, would oh you get gosh, uh, I think if you go far back enough into the lore, um, orcs come from spores. They're kind of fungal things. Right. Uh, anyway, let's not get into it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah. Total war. Back to the game. In yeah. summary, yeah, yeah. orcs are fungus. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember if that. I don't know. They, they've changed it a lot over the years, so they might not be the case. Yeah, wasn't there a point at some point where it was thought that the fantasy universe was just like a planet or a pocket dimension within 40k, and then they kind of dialed back from that? Uh, well, they've changed everything now so that all of the different races from Warhammer Fantasy are from different kind of dimensions now. Right. Uh, but they, they, the weird thing about uh, Total War Warhammer and Warhammer itself is that shortly after, I think, uh, Total War Warhammer was announced, Games Workshops rebooted uh, okay. all of New Warhammer and just introduced new armies and changed all of the lore and uh, ev- you know, changed everything basically so this is a, Total Warhammer's a weird callback now to a, a time before the, the great revamp mm. which, which I, I kind of prefer actually because to, to me it's, I understand it and it's familiar um, as yeah. uh, that fantasy universe and um, plus it gives them territory for a sequel Age of Sigma right? Yeah yeah. they'd have to do some batshit stuff with the, uh, the storylines um, because wow the, the, the reboot stuff they did they basically destroyed the world and then rebuilt it again uh, but yeah, the, the game itself is, is really atmospheric and it's very good as kind of aesthetic. If you want to hang around in the Warhammer universe, kind of feel like you're part of it, it's very good at that. It does carry with it the same old Total War kind of niggles that have always existed. It doesn't really get that far away from the Total War formula. So it's very fiddly and I think quite overcomplicated, especially for people who are new to it. Um, and it, it's very difficult. Like, lots of people want to try Total War uh, because it's such a, an amazing spectacle. But it's, it's very difficult to find an entry point into it. I think a lot of people will look at this as a good entry point because it's about swords and sorcery. Uh, but it's still, like, every unit will have, like, 20 stats. And the stuff you're doing is increasing their attack damage by 3%. And that moves their attack damage from 33 to, 30, to 38 or something. And I'm, like, you I'm don't know, what, what does that mean? <laughs> like, what do the numbers even mean? Uh, it's a huge problem with Warhammer, where you, not with Total War, where you'll see, like, a plus 2 stat on something. And it'll be like, what? Does that really? What's the applied actual outcome for for that improvement? And uh, this total world always feel feels very disconnected in that way because you're always fiddling with numbers and then not necessarily directly seeing how they affect the game. Hmm. So it feels a little bit still slightly sloppy and slightly fiddly. How how how's the balance of like the campaign between the strategy and the like tactical? The, the meat and potatoes combat and the actual high level campaign map stuff because I, I saw in some reviews um, people were complaining like it seems a lot of the campaign stuff, the strategy map has sort of been stripped away to try and facilitate Warhammer within this setting and the need to ha- have these armies that are constantly roaming across if you're the orcs and stuff like that is... Yeah they seem to have um, 
found that they basically incentivized each army to have two really big big armies mm-hmm. on the field at any given point. There was a problem with previous Total Wars where there were loads of tiny armies all over the place and the AI, AI didn't really know what to do with it. Uh, so now you tend to have fewer armies, but it ten- you tend to get this farcical situation where uh, I've got like a dwarf uh, being carried by four other dwarves on a throne on their shields, uh, and it, he's running from city to city, raising all my orc camps, and my orc army is desperately chasing him. And they can't catch up to him, even though he's a tiny dwarf, and they're the <laughs> slowest things in the Warhammer universe. It's just a, uh, it's there's some very strange scenarios coming come out of it. Um, I'll be interested to know, like, see if one of you guys play it and see what you think. Is kind of people who aren't necessarily familiar with Total War, you might find it really strange. Yeah, I've not really played one since, um, not not properly since Medieval, uh, which is what like two thousand one, something like that. Mm. Um, so it's been a, a long ass time. Mm. Um, yeah, and I just Roman two, I wanted to get into, but it always sounded like it was having a few too many hiccups at launch to really mm. get me, and then like. Uh, Attila sounded quite complicated, so this this does sound like a, a good sort of middle ground, even though all the things you describe sound quite daunting. <laughs> <laughs> it still is daunting. It still is. Uh, I'd always kind of uh, my dream for Total War would be for them to kind of simplify it enormously and have uh, you, for you to take more decisive actions or actions that uh, feel less like you're chipping away at, at this huge strategic thing, and, and even this applies to the battles as well, where. Um, all of the line units, the, the close combat line units, tend to just go into a giant death ball in the middle of the, the field and then very slowly kill each other over a period of about 10 minutes. Uh, and then your flank charges actually decide who breaks and who doesn't. And I always wish it was more decisive. I wish, wish there wasn't that kind of huge morass of thousands of things. That Once they've clashed, there's very little you can do to really affect them. They're just going to stand there for ages and, and not push like each other down. more incentivized for making, like... A few decisive, clever decisions rather than just playing the endless numbers mm. and the weird series. Yeah, it takes ages to do anything on the campaign map as well. Like, if, if you want to um, spread corruption, it's going to take so many turns. If you want to build up your cities so to get new units, it's going to take like dozens and dozens and dozens of turns. Mm. And uh, you're constantly press, pressing that next turn button and not huge amounts happening so it still feels like there's a lot that could be improved about the formula hmm. okay well me and Phil have both got copies of it so um, yeah, give it a shot. Uh, well, that's homework Phil we've, yeah. got, we've, <laughs> got, we've got to play it and, and have hot takes on it <laughs> yep. report back yeah yeah alright cool uh, I look forward to checking that out in the meantime Andy you've been playing a game that is right up your alley right yeah. um, <clears throat> Duskers Duskers yeah this is a what I can tell like a kind of roguelike sort of game where you manage a ship that Oh, it's kind of like an alien-style ship with this alien-style interface. Maybe you should just explain yeah. what it is. <laughs> You're close. You're close. Yeah. Um, Solid BF there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Should, yeah. We, should we explain the Andy Kelly challenge for the yes. podcast? Yes. I completely oh, yeah. forgot about it. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, throughout this podcast, at one point, Andy is going to eat a peanut M&M. <laughs> and if you can timestamp when he eats that M&M, you will win a free copy of Battleborn. Oh, yeah. wait, hang on. You, one person will. <laughs> yeah. One Whoever's like, first. The first work. person, yeah. That's a ludicrous competition that stemmed from me remo- removing a packet, a packet of, M&Ms. of M&Ms from my pocket so they didn't rustle <laughs> during the podcast. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so and, uh, it, basically, if you email pcgamer at futurenet.com, Phil will, can, will find out who the first person to identify that time What's is. What's the subject Make line? Sh- the subject line is peanuts. <laughs> peanuts, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, yeah. yeah, we'll be we'll be checking the timestamps. So uh, before we deliver the goods, that so uh, be, it's, it's unfortunate because Andy edited it. So that's going to be your thankless task. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah. Anyway, Duskers is uh, it was sitting in my Steam library for ages, and I'd never played it. And then the other day, I heard that it had left early access. 
And so I fired it up and went from not knowing anything about it to becoming, you know, it's one of my games of the year. It's amazing. Wow. Um, it's kind of like if you've seen Alien, um, the Ridley Scott film, the first one, whenever you see a screen on the Nostromo, it's like an, on an old CRT monitor. Mm. It's got that really lo-fi interface style that in the 80s, they probably in the late 70s, early 80s, they probably thought was like, the state of the art and now it just looks cool and re- and retro futuristic green text yeah green text and sort of almost like teletext one for the uk <laughs> listeners there um <laughs> but basically that so the the game duskers looks like what would be on one of those screens on the nostromo's bridge but is the game it's got that aesthetic um, but to be clear you can play it with a normal qwerty keyboard and not one of the weird alien symbol keyboards that make no sense that they <laughs> yeah. have an alien yeah an alien oh yeah 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 um so yeah, you can use a human keyboard, and it actually is all keyboard controlled, which I like as well. Um, there's no mouse control, so it really um, runs with that style, um, and it's got like fake CRT flickering and noise and stuff on the screen. So it looks it looks amazing. Like it, the visually, it just looks incredible. So so what do you what do you do exactly? Then? So you you're like in you it's a it's a kind of post apocalyptic type situation where you're in space and everyone's dead literally everyone is dead and space is just full of these uh, derelict ships just floating in space abandoned uh, all kinds of ships military ships um, like civilian vessels and uh, abandoned bases and stuff like that and they're all just floating around completely dormant or, or so it seems and you have to um, you're, you're the last survivor uh, for whatever reason and then it, it doesn't say whether you're a person whether you're like an AI or something or what you know you, it, it's all it's like a game where you have to use your imagination and it's all you fill in the gaps, and I really like that kind of ambiguity. Um, <clears throat> so you, you've got a ship, and you've got like a uh, set of drones, and basically you send these drones onto these derelict ships to find fuel to keep your engine going, to let you jump between systems, you know, to find more ships. And so one goal is surviving, which is keeping enough fuel to keep running. The other goal is piecing together what happened. So you'll find ship logs, as you uh, you can sort of interface with. Uh, the computer of these derelict ships and find clues about the story and they're all put together in a kind of log of keywords hmm. um, so there's a bit of a detective thing to it of you trying to piece together what happened um, but the actual game is you control the drones and it's all viewed as if you were viewing it through some kind of like primitive um, computer software so you see the drones from above you control them with your arrow keys um, <clears throat> so you can only when you go into a ship, it's like a sort of maze of rooms, all shut with electric electronic doors, and um, you have to move between the rooms. And you you've got like a flashlight, so you can only see a little bit in front of you, and you can switch between a view of the drones from floating from above and a schematic view, which shows you like a blueprint of the ship, and you can see where your drones are moving and stuff. Um, so the idea is just to move between the rooms, um, scavenging scrap, which you can use for upgrades and stuff like that, finding fuel. Like every ship has a fuel storage bit where you you know. You, you can get fuel just to keep your ship running and to explore further in the universe um, but occasionally there's things, there's creatures or whatever, there's something bad on these ships um, and you can set off a motion scanner and it will show you on the schematic view if it's green there's nothing there if it's red there's a life form detected or whatever it can be there's like you know robots that have gone mad and stuff like that Although that actually, that's just what I've projected on it. It could be anything. Like it's just a shape, and in my head, I go, "That's a robot that's broken down." <laughs> a robot that's gone mad. Yeah, and some of them are <laughs> organic, some of them are mechanical. 
Um, and sometimes the scanning result will be yellow, which means inconclusive. So if you're in a corridor and there's a room and your scanner's picked up a lot of scrap and fuel, but your, uh, your motion scanner's yellow, you go, why? There could be something in there. Hmm. Um, or there could not be. So it's, that, it's like a horror game at that point where you're creeping through these rooms. Um, but then you can use tricks like op- um, from your schematic view, you could open any door you see, so you can funnel the creatures around. So if you want to get into that room, you could always open the room to the adjo- the door mm, to the adjoining right. room, and then the scanner will change, and you'll see the creature move in. They can shut the door behind it, mm. go in and safely scan the stuff, get out, and then keep. You know, that's one way of dealing with them: is funneling them around the rooms, mm. and it's really tense because you've got to memorize like twenty doors, what ones are open, what ones are closed. So it's a uh, there's so many times where I've been like, right, that's all these bulkheads are, are closed off, and then walked into a room and immediately got. And they, they, when an uh, enemy sees you, it just pounces at you really fast, mm. and the camera it goes video feed lost, it just goes like really suddenly, and it makes me jump every time because it's so fast, and then you lose your signal from your drone, and then that opens up more tactical decisions like, do I just get the hell off the ship, or do <laughs> I try and get rid of the enemy and then tow my drone back to the, my ship? Mm which is because drones are so valuable you always want to try and do that um, <clears throat> there are other ways of dealing with enemies like military ships have um, uh, automated defences so they'll have guns set up like sentry guns that you can use in a computer interface so you can if there's a sentry gun in one room you can like lure the enemies into it and kill them that way hmm. um, but then of course the mistake I make a lot is I leave my uh, I forget to turn the defences off and go into the room and get shot myself hmm. so again it's all about remembering decisions you've made and they all stack up and yeah that's basically yeah, and it is it is like a really effective horror game because the the ambience there's no music or voice acting it's just the rumbling of the ship's engines the sort of bleeps of your um, drones moving around and it's so tense when there's this complete silence and then you hear like, the creaking of the ship and oh, you hear distant like noises of creatures scrabbling around and stuff like that so it's like it's, it's got the ambience of the original alien it's like a horror Rogue, sci-fi roguelike wow. thing. Sounds pretty good. It's quite um, it's quite pricey, I think, on Steam, isn't it? Is it like eighteen dollars, something like that? Yeah, I'd I say, say pricey. Like it's you know, yeah. relatively yeah. speaking, I well, guess. I, I, I got it for free, but I, if it's hard to say, but you know, I think I think it's worth that because it's it's got tons of depth. I mean, this the drone upgrades for your drones are there's tons of them. There's uh, ship layouts are different depending on what kind of ship it is. There's even stuff like radiation leaks that you can like you can just destroy. If there's a room with a radiation leak, if you open too many doors you can just fuck the whole ship up and you have to leave and lose whatever's in it. Um you can open have you can open airlocks and blow creatures out if you want. That's one way you get around them. But yeah. then all the items in the room will get blown uh, out as well. <clears throat> and it will let radiation in so it's like, do I want to quickly get rid of these enemies so I can you know, explore the rest of the ship, or do I want the stuff in there? It's just it sounds like, like a, it's kind of a sandboxy sim element to it. Yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, you, your drones have stuff like you can go invisible briefly with a stealth module. You can use a shield. You can even get a, a turret to attack enemies, but it's you know they're quite scarce and um, everything can break as well. You sometimes you'll be playing and then one of the drones will say video feed lost. It'll go Shh, and you'll be like the panic of like has it just been attacked? And then you'll go, and it will just be sitting there. It'll be fine. It's just the video feed right. just broke. So because you, the you get the feeling like you're the crew of, of the Nostromo. Everything's like rusty and broken and industrial, 
and you're just keeping it all hanging together. But yeah, that's, that's great. I can't believe they made the they made a game exactly for you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's I, I should say as well, it's all com- yeah, you can use command lines as well, so you can move the drones around manually. But there's tons of commands. I I printed the manual out. I've got the paper manual on my desk of all the commands in it. So you can you can stack them up as well. You get really good at it. So you can be like, if I went like uh, navigate one two three r1 interface defense that would um send my drones to room three and the one with the interface tool would interface with the computer and activate the defenses so that's like but then like you have to do them under stress so Mm. if you like encounter an enemy you have to go like navigate one r3 to get it to the room you know which is often quicker than doing it yourself and right so it's very slow and ponderous but then there's moments of sheer panic where you're like fumbling at the keyboard trying to type in like get your drones out of, oh, wow. out of there um, cool. yeah it's quite a lot going on then yeah um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's I, yeah it's currently um it's currently 14.99 on steam with a 10 percent disc get a launch discount so 13.49 yeah. i'd say it was worth it but it's hard for me to say because i got it for free but <laughs> yeah. but yeah. you love aliens so much yeah <laughs> so. It, it couldn't be more yeah it couldn't be more aimed at me in terms of aesthetic and, and mood and atmosphere but if you if you like horror games if you like roguelikes if you like sci-fi if you like strategy games, tactical games, you know, it has elements of... Like typing of, command lines into a computer. Yeah, it has That's elements of thing. a lot of, like, it reminds me in some ways of even, like, Invisible Ink and stuff like that. There's, oh, yeah. there's just elements yeah. of all the all those very PC games. You how, know? how is it represented on screen, like, um, when you're going through the ship? Because uh, I didn't get much of a sense of that from the screenshots I've seen. Most of it's just CRT screens, but, like... Yeah, well, you, see, you, can, you, I mean, you can see the ship, but it's it's... It's from the top, but yeah. it, you can see the room and like debris scattered around and stuff. But it's it's presented as if some primitive lo-fi radar has oh, right, created okay. a scan of it. So you see, it's only very shimmering and and indistinct. But you can you know you get a feel of again. It's a, I think ima- an imagination is a must for it. You, when you put your headphones on, you play it in the dark, and you really do feel like you're delving into these you know rusting old ships. And you should say that in its uh, Steam recommended specs. Uh, imagination required. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think a lot always of people, on imagination. Yeah, it's one of those games that I think you've got to invest a bit of pour a bit of yourself in and like fill in the blanks and mm. really and get into it. To it sounds very similar to it. a game called Dead Noughts. Yeah, someone said that on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. which I played last year and. Uh, it's kind of a similar idea, but you, you, you've got people instead of drones, and they can fall out with each other. Hmm. Sometimes they can just refuse your orders and stuff like yeah. that. It's their equivalent of breaking down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is that they just sit down and don't do anything. Yeah, a few people recommended that to me, actually. But It's, um, it's, it's interesting. It's, 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 yeah. like, um, it, it puts you in a really claustrophobic, almost like a submarine-type capsule, and you look left and right to these screens that are all over the place. But it's similarly atmospheric. Yeah. But I found uh, aspects to be quite frustrating. But particularly the part where people just fall out with each other and don't do what you tell them because at yeah. least the drones always like try and do what you tell well, them. Well you do get a warning with stuff breaking down as well like it'll have a durability type thing so you can go into a mission with risking that your one of your parts might break Right. if you don't have the money for it you think well I'll do one more hmm. I'll, I'll scrap for it I'll, I'll do one more mission just to get enough scrap to fix that module but then there's the risk of it breaking down. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, that's it, cool. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll definitely pick that up at some point, or or try it on the press account. One of those two things. <laughs> um, no, no, that's uh, that's that's cool. And uh, yeah, I'm glad that you're keeping on top of all the games that are a bit like Alien. Andy. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the next game we're going to talk about is a re-release. Oh well, it's a port uh, released to PC for the first time of an old PS2 RPG. It's Final Fantasy X and X2 HD Remaster from Square Enix. Um, which is uh, I, I reviewed recently and gave eighty five percent. It's uh, 
a pretty decent port compared to the uh, pretty dreadful job of 13 that um, Square Enix did in 2014. They've obviously learned a lot since then. Like, you can now change the graphics options in-game, for example, rather than in a launcher, which is, you know, progress for Press, sure. Pressing escape oh, yeah. doesn't just ditch you from the game. <laughs> oh, yeah. The oh, my God. oh, yeah, that was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, play it at 4K. I, tried, I tested that the other day. Yeah, yeah cool. Runs amazingly at 4k obviously because it's very old yeah. <laughs> it looks nice yeah apart from like um, some stuttering in some places like which i did notice on the ps4 version which i finished earlier in the year like it's um it's it's pretty much there in terms of what it should be um it and it's pretty a, good as well doesn't it like holds up yeah yeah f- for quite an old game um certainly better better than most of the final fantasies yeah like, if you go back to the ps1 area there's definitely a fidelity issue because they're little tiny blocky people and they look a bit strange. The but. biggest, yeah, the biggest disappointment with those um, PS One era ones is that you there's no way to have um, HD versions of the background yeah, art, yeah. which would make those games look so good. And mm. that's that's you know something they should look into doing at some point, even if they charge an extra two or three quid for it. But um, yeah, it's uh, someone who's actually working on porting that as well into those games, like photoshopping the files and smoothing them out. But I think you need the HD yeah. art. You know, I wonder um, if those files exist anymore. Those three D mm. models that they used for the pre-rendered backgrounds I've got no idea yeah, yeah. Well, I bet they just I bet they're just gone they're on a yeah. CD that there's in a bin yeah somewhere <laughs> oh, um, but uh, yeah like te- but 10 holds up really well I, like, the only thing they've really redone I think is the um, the character models on most of the main characters yeah. um, I've so seen you- a few people complaining about that saying disparity bring, bring back the old models do they look markedly different or? yeah they look a they look they look different enough that you'll notice them. Like um, the thing is that I noticed this playing ten because I, I should disclose right away that when I was about fourteen, I played ten for about four hundred hours. It was the it was my main game as a teenager. Like when I had a PS2, it was uh, yeah, it was kind of number one. I really got uh, quite deep into it, and like um, I always noticed that the cutscene models they used and the in-game models were mm. quite different. Like yeah. the in-game ones looked really bad. Um, and now there's a consistency between the two, um, but some people complain that like the characters look a bit too different now. But I think they're being uh, pedantic. Yeah. Um, the, there's a mild disparity where if you meet characters who are uh, only in like one or two scenes, their faces haven't been redone, <laughs> so they look like they're from another era, <laughs> um, which happened with Type Zero on PC as well. Hmm. Um, so there is that, but um, no, the the, the world uh, in Final Fantasy X, which is uh, Spira, this kind of tropical fantasy world where uh, it's mainly like kind of small towns and ports because major cities in the game get destroyed by this the main villain uh, Sin. Like any kind of built up setting, this mystical force called Sin basically lays waste to a to any kind of like when, major. When city. you say mystical force, yeah, you mean a, a giant, giant, fish. giant whale. It's a giant whale with a, a city whale, on top. Yeah. <laughs> giant space whale um, messing up your shit. Yeah, so basically, like the the story starts and you're this uh, <clears throat> this athlete uh, called uh, Tidus. Uh, and you get sent. Uh, he's uh, he's living in this metropolis called Zanakand, and then um, this uh, massive wave arrives with this whale inside, and he destroys the whole city. And um, Titus vanishes and wakes up uh, a thousand years in the future, basically, where uh, his home uh, home city is long gone, and Sin has been terrorizing this world in cycles since then. Um, and the story's quite batshit, like. Uh, <laughs> But the main problem with it is the voice acting uh, because it's kind of like an early-ish 3D game. Like it has full voice acting, but it's really bad, and it's just been—I think it's just been badly directed. Like, yeah. no one really sounds like they're interacting with each other. No one really understands what the story's about, and a lot of it's shrill and quite annoying and kind of like it's like watching a bad anime, I guess. Um, 
but it does have uh, this this amazing looking world. I've not, never really seen a fantasy world that looks anything like it. Uh, I guess it's sort of, it's sort of like a fantasy version of Waterworld, I guess. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, it's it really is kind of beautiful, and um, there's this amazing uh, combat system and progression system at the center of Ten as well, mm. which is uh, kind of like a variation on turn based uh, combat where you can. You basically change the order of things as you go. You can switch and uh, you can switch your party out uh, members out at any time, so you can have different arrangements of classes. Um, it's a really kind of versatile system. And then there's this behind the scenes uh, leveling up system called the Sphere Grid, where you can you move around this mighty board, um, activating nodes which like um, adds uh, like kind of plus four stats to your strength, magic, or new abilities. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really kind of like in depth uh, game yeah. with a lot of end game content. Mm. Um, but I've been kind of like fanboying out over it a little bit there um, but I do acknowledge it's a, a flawed game in some ways and like um, it has random battles in it so you can't hide the fact it's antiquated in that regard but um, I don't know I, I, I it's it's fairly easy to complete 10 um, it's yep. uh, so I think it's quite a good first Final Fantasy game for someone who's interested in the series and this package uh, comes with its direct sequel 10-2 as well and it's uh, it's only twenty quid for both of them, which I think is really great, value. Great value for the number of <coughs> yeah. hours mm. across both. I remember yeah. playing Final Fantasy X when I was at school, and I think my biggest dis- it was the moment where having been a Final Fantasy fan, like a diehard fan, sort of started losing a bit of love for it, which was because it's the first one where there's no overworld world map, and to travel between locations, you just pick them on a menu. Mm. When you yeah. get the airship, there's not that great liberating feeling of being able to just fly around the world map <coughs> and look for stuff. It's all is that how does that feel now? Well, I I don't mind that too much. I I agree. That's one of the nice things about seven, eight, and nine is being able to manually control the airship and go around this world wherever you like. But it, it's a very simple interface, isn't it? Yeah. Like it ultimately takes you about thirty seconds to blast around the world and come back again to where you yeah. were. Um, and, and there this, was kind of there was kind of secret stuff though, like little islands you'd find flying around. Whereas this is there. A, a, Whereas if with this menu we are fast traveling, there's no sense of exploration. There, if you know there I mean. are a few secrets on there. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, you can use this scanning tool to um, find secret a secret dungeon, uh, a mega dungeon, and then um, there's these codes you can type in that unlock coordinates as well uh, to right. to certain patches of land. And like um, that, there is that side to it. It's mm. it's admittedly there's nothing quite as cool as. In Final Fantasy VIII, for example, there was this underwater facility that was just floating, in the, like the top of it was just floating in the middle of the ocean. You had no idea what it was. Mm. And you landed there, and um, you kind of went down all these levels deeper and deeper until you came to this weird cave thing, and you fought uh, Ultima Weapon, yeah, which was, was say, um, yeah. one of the coolest uh, <clears throat> little secrets in that game. Mm. Before that, Bahamut. And like, um, there's this kind of lift that comes up, and it's just there, this giant thing, and you fight it, and you you have no idea that's coming. It's, yeah. it's really nicely done. There's nothing that kind of blows the mind in quite that way, um, so you lose that. But I still think the world's really kind of like coherent. Like yeah. you can walk from one side of it to the other. It's just a lot of it is interconnected corridors, yeah. but there are a few opening bits as well, like the calm lands, and which comes later in the game. I remember it's like the big green expanse. I remember mm. that quite vividly, actually. Yeah, some nice areas. Yeah, for sure. Like, and each area does feel quite distinct, um, like the PS One uh, games. Like, there's a sense of identity to these different places. Yeah. Um, what, what do you guys? Uh, I'm going to get your guys' take <laughs> on this because um, I, I really like Ten, but like, um, I really uh, don't like its sequel, Ten Two. Okay, is this, uh, well, is this the conversation you want to start? Sam? Is this? Yeah, we've been we've been mooting this a bit in the office um, because I, it's funny because I I played ten when I was about thirteen and I played ten two when I was about fifteen and so I was probably at an age where I was taking it a bit too seriously and I thought this kind of like story 
with this giant whale laying waste to cities was like really intense and like oh my god you know it's just so formative and I look back now and I'm like it's a little bit embarrassing that's what I was, I've been thinking about this and yeah you, I really like Final Fantasy X uh, it's probably it might be one of my favourites because as much as Final Fantasy VII was probably the formative one for me I can't really go back and play VII because it's sort of so old and antiquated I really struggle to get into it now see I still love VII I, I, I still think if you can get over those character models it's still, no, it's still really good I've played it two or three times like since I was a wee child mm. and each time I get to like the Juno reactor sequence and I don't ever get past that right? just because I'll end up putting it down and there are other things to do Yeah. Um, whereas like so I've been playing it over the weekend, um, ten, and more specifically ten two, and I just slip right back into it quite smoothly. Well, the um, the the big difference there's a big difference in tone between the two games you get here. So ten is this quite somber, serious tale of uh, you know this uh, this world ending force that you yeah. have to challenge and defeat. And there's these really quite like I don't know sick for me criticisms of religion in there yeah, <laughs> that are a, a bit a bit. You know, heavy-handed. Some on-the-nose religious commentary, yeah. Like very, very kind of uh, somber themes of self-sacrifice and duty, and and then Ten Two opens with like a pop music number, where the one of the main characters from Ten is now wearing uh, like this kind of like dress and dancing around and singing, and then like there's this kind of slapstick tone that's gradually woven into it. Mm. As a very different uh, roster of characters, instead of having seven playable uh, party members, you have three. Um, and yeah, you uh, instead of it being this linear adventure, you start on an airship and you can go anywhere in the world straight away. Hmm. Um, so it's uh, it's yeah, very different. Like, uh, there, there are specific missions you're meant to go on, but a lot of it is actually <clears throat> specifically going out of your way and checking out the side stories and. Yeah, and it, it, annoyingly, if you reach like points in the story, it gates off stuff that you can't go back and revisit unless you do a new game plus. Yeah, you, which is one of the things I hate about it. But um, it's, <clears throat> it's a bit ridiculous. You do have to sort of mine all the non they're called hot spots where like the main missions are you've got to do everything other than them really otherwise at some point it will just say okay now you're in chapter two and the world is different now yeah you've moved on and the combat is um very different as well like it's just kind of a more real time in few still turn-based but like um it's running kind of real time a little Mm. bit like some of the earlier games yeah a part of that is actually trying to um synchronize the attacks between characters so you can build these combo meters uh once enemies are staggered yeah, it's that's good. That's a good combat system. It is a good combat system, and like um, it's underpinned by they got rid of the sphere grid. Um, you have a more conventional one to a hundred leveling system, but you also have these uh, dress spheres, uh, dress spheres, which are like classes that you can kind of like load up um, in these kind of like uh, I guess loadouts. I guess they're loadouts of classes, and then you can switch between them in battle at any time. Yeah. So you have like songstress, where you can cast these like um, status bar, elements. Basically, yeah. Basically bard, and then you have warrior, white mage, all the rest of the conventional mm. ones, and they're represented by fancy outfits. You have um, a party, the only Final Fantasy game with an all-female uh, party of characters, um, and uh, yeah, they've uh, there's different designs for all yeah. of their dresses. <clears throat> uh, which is nice. When I was playing it briefly, it reminded me of a bit, uh, it was a kind of proto thirteen, where with thirteen you've got the same kind of stagger mechanics. Yeah, the combat system is actually very, system, well. very similar. Mm. Which uh, yeah, the paradigm shift stuff is almost a simpler version of it. Isn't but yeah, it? yeah, a more elegant version maybe. Mm. Yeah, thir- like thirteen's paradigm shift. Like what what they did with thirteen was they put the emphasis on like creating the garment grids. Essentially, that you create these paradigms, which is all done in the menu before the fight, yeah. and then you just see how that applies to the battles as are. Mm. Whereas I think. 
tend to is still a bit more about the fight itself and in being in the moment. Yeah. Um, your selections do matter a bit, but there's not a, there's not a button you can just press where the computer goes. These are the best moves you can make right now, which yes. is what thirteen has. <laughs> That's true. Do you, Andy, do you have to and play ten two. I will no, defend thirteen to the death, but yeah. I will defend ten two to the death even more. I don't um, know if I'll play it. I no, it just looks a bit too daft. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, right. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Here we now, go. To an extent, you're right, Sam. Like, if, if 10 was formative for you, you can see why 10 2 would be traumatic. Oh, I was thinking, okay, what... <laughs> that's, that's perhaps over egging it. <laughs> it wasn't traumatic, it was just disappointing. <clears throat> it was one of the first games I pre ordered, and I was like, oh my god, this is just so not what I thought it was going to be. I'm thinking about like games from my childhood that were formative to me, and I thought, okay, so if Metal Gear Solid 1 had a direct sequel that featured Meryl and Mei Ling and some third character no one's ever heard of going on. Let me make this very clear. It has nothing to do with the fact it's got um, no, three female main characters. I'm, I'm not trying to <laughs> make that point. I'm just saying if <laughs> if it took some of the, the that game's themes and put them into a zany slapstick side adventure, I think I would be a little bit more... That's my problem. At that it. age where I was, yeah, that would have annoyed me. It's it's, but, it's tone. It's tone. It's not Yeah, it's not those characters. It's the tone. It's, it's like it's got... Uh, kind of like um, old, sort of like ancient romances that are rekindled in modern times. Really soapy bullshit. <laughs> it's got zany cutscenes. I think it's got one guy perving over his cousin. I would it's say just yeah, so 90% annoying. percent of Ten Two's tonal problems are from brother, um, the, the character brother, who is like the leader of this uh, these sphere hunting outfit, the Gold Wings, which yeah. is what Yuna, uh, Riku, and Pain will work for. Yeah, and he is awful. And he does need to go into a bin and stay there. Yeah, and it's like yeah, his his stuff is particularly cringeworthy. But there is some, it does some really clever things as a sequel. Um, part and part of that is the way that the tone is structured, because I, I, this is essential. This was the first like big sequel the Final Fantasy game had. It was the first sequel. Uh, was was Advent Children before? No, it was no, after. It was after. So this was the first like time that a Final Fantasy game was carried over, and they don't do it in a traditional way and I think that's good because essentially Final Fantasy X is, you know, spoilers but it's about defeating a big world consuming evil yeah. whale. and a, a big world consuming whale and they do that and part of that is going to be finding out what the world's like after after that evil is gone. Now I um, I think that is a nice idea and, and playing it again uh, now I um I, I do like the idea that it shows this this world that was quite heavily um, repressed mm. uh, becoming uh, quite liberated and moving on and figuring out what's next and I like that that's represented through things like pop music like if you're you know if you've gone from having all this responsibility and saving the world to you know now you can sing and dance for a living and become a treasure hunter then I don't know that seems like a natural progression of that character yeah know, yeah but it, 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 there's also a dark side to it too like the, the optimism is there on that but there are there are really quite clever things done. So m one of my favourite things, and I, I got through the first chapter this weekend replaying it, I was like, oh yeah, so Zanakan Ruin, which is like this holy site, um, which you know forms quite a fairly key point in Final Fantasy X. Yeah, some major revelations and yeah. uh, a big, big old twist. Yeah. And that's now a tourist trap being run, like being farmed out for money for so these people can get rich off like people wanting to experience the adventure. And Yuna's kind of appalled by it because, but but she's also appalled in a way that she can't really articulate because she's appalled for very selfish reasons because part of it, it like, she's essentially heartbroken in Ten Two. A lot of what she does in that game is 
self-deception and trying to put on this positive attitude that mm. you know she's still kind of she's trying to move on from these bouts of depression essentially and I think the way that it portrays that is actually quite nuanced well it's uh f- yeah I mean there's another thing that um that that Tentu does in relation to Ten like in Ten there's this uh, species in the world called the Ronsos who are like uh, basically uh, it's like this widespread genocide where they're wiped out by um, the uh, the Guado so there's almost none of them left and in Ten too they are looking to kill the Guado themselves and um, their leader is one of your former party members and he's struggling to maintain order because every, everyone under his charge wants to go and wipe out these people who wiped out their race and like that is admittedly not a kind of zany uh, super zany storyline. It's still a bit daft because the species in question are big blue bear things yeah. uh, with horns and weapons and like togas but <laughs> but, um, but yeah like to- kill Rathi. <laughs> Tom you've been playing Tentu as well? Uh, yeah I've only played it for a couple of hours and uh, I, I get the feeling that that's where it's at, at its zaniest when it's introducing the kind of the bad guys and they're falling off things and you know it's very kind of animated the opening exciting. sequence yeah is just pure cheese essentially it yeah, also it's... has a massage mini game right. um, not, not in the opening but later on yeah that does happen and like um, um, yeah that's the thing it's, it's got things like that where like <clears throat> I want to give it this sort of uh, credit of going oh it's quite liberated it's got this uh, it's quite progressive in some ways but it does have a sequence where you massage the main antagonist of the game who is like a scantily clad woman I realise I sound like I'm about 80 when I say that um, and then she makes orgasmic sounds depending on where on your back you you, you massage and there's a pleasure meter and it's like this is all that massages fa- work yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this just um, it's that fan servicey stuff that just I just uh, kind of appalled to me when I was 15 mm-hmm. and like even now I'm like that's that's pretty bad yeah, yeah. I mean it's, I'm not going to say it doesn't have tonal problems I just think it is a lot <clears throat> There's more going on than uh, first meets the eye, especially like based on the intro and the first mm. the first couple of missions. Like you went on a bit of a journey with it re-reviewing it because <laughs> you tweeted me basically saying, "Look, I'm going to call this proper garbage." The Star Wars nothing. holiday special of Final Fantasy. <laughs> That's what I had it down. Yeah, as. and wow. and you seem to have softened between that and your actual review. Well, it's funny because I I I think I went from realizing that what that change in tone. Instead of being completely worthless, it's just maybe something I don't get. Because um, at a podcast where one game developer, she was talking about how when she played Tentu uh, when she was younger, like um, she had a bunch of friends and they felt like they could empathise with the three main characters. Like, oh, that's like this friend, that's like another, that's like another. And I was like, oh, that's that's. Uh, I suppose I I just don't have that kind of angle on it because I'm just mm. a guy and I just mm. think it's gaudy and stuff. And like uh, she was saying, like the the J-pop stuff, and it is the best thing about it. That's because to you know to her, like she'd never played a game like that before. And I was like, ah, oh, maybe maybe I just, and I just kind of I thought about it more. I played it for about ten more hours after that, and I softened to that view a little bit more. And thought it's not completely worthless. I just don't really get this. Um, so that's where I landed with it. But you know, as a game you can buy on PC, like it's a really interesting slab of like console history and quite a well-priced package mm. um, with some uh, yes, it, like absolutely like tons of game in there. Like twenty pounds for Final Fantasy X is definitely worth it anyway. So to have ten two as either an experiment that you are appalled by or sort of really get into, <laughs> I think it, you're not you're not making a gamble there, really, are you? It's it's an extra that is worth checking out. It's true, and like we're at the point now where like pretty much all the m- Best games in the series are on PC now. Like they're not at yeah, their best. Yeah, thirteen and ten too. The, the, be- <laughs> the best one is not has not arrived yet. 
Just 12. 12, 12. Secretly the best Final Fantasy. I like 12 in some ways, but um, it's got it's very... It's actually, that will probably make quite a good match for PC because it's quite MMO-inspired and like... Um, yeah, I'd love to review it, actually, because it's got some very clear flaws, but it's got some really interesting stuff in it as well. I think they'll announce it at E3. I hope so. Yeah, I, I think so. Well, will they even announce it, or will they just drop it? Drop it on us like it's hot? I don't know, because they built up... To, it took them about a year from announcing Ten's remaster to release. Oh, I guess there was, it, yeah, the whole yeah. console thing happened as a whole PR marketing cycle, didn't it? That I was yeah. completely blind to, pretty much. And then, yeah, it dropped on Steam without warning, basically. Yeah, like three days' notice. That seems to be how they do it now. Yeah. yeah. So we've had nine and ten in the last, like, month or so. So clearly they want to get them all on there. Um, and also, you can, you know, well want to emulate 12... Um, it may or may not look amazing when you um, upscale it because um, I think it had a lower resolution than 10 when it was on PS2 because mm. it was just so mm. so ambitious in terms of what it looked like, but yeah. it was grainy as hell. And like, if you play it on PC now and blow it up to like 4K, it looks <laughs> what, incredible. Were that technology even possible? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I would like to come either way. It but, would know. look top notch. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit, but the art in that game is amazing. Yeah, it's like amazing one of the first fully 3D ones as well. Yeah, ten still got some pre-rendered stuff. But yeah, yeah, it's really good stuff about it. We'll, we'll get into that ten-year-old game on the future <laughs> podcast. Uh, I have length. less strong feelings about twelve. Yeah, uh, yeah well, good. Yeah, me. Well, yeah, me too. Actually, yeah, yeah. I'll fight you all. Yay! <laughs> no, that's a very well-liked game, and I look forward to talking about it. Yeah. But um, a more recent uh, game that's uh, coming out is this week, I think, or today, Tomorrow. Uh, when you're listening to the podcast, today, yeah, because um, we're releasing this on Tuesday um, mm. for one of the other things we're about to talk about um but it's a uh, lumo on pc andy which yeah. you requested to review specifically which must Did mean I? it yeah uh. you said this is a cool game can i review it <laughs> oh yeah and i assume it occupies one of your quadrants so is, is, that, is it like twin peaks is that, is that, or that, Blade Runner? <laughs> is that surprise now making you think oh god why did i do that no or, um if any of you heard of it no no not, not really, really. No. yeah it's been quite sort of quietly rumbling away in the background for about two years it's made by one person who is the um, Gareth Noyce, who's the co-founder of Ruffian. Um, oh, I think I've interviewed him once. Yeah, yeah. Ruffian he made Crackdown too. Yeah, so there's a few references to Crackdown in it and and tons of other games. It's um, it's kind of inspired by a bunch of games I never played, so I don't have that reference point. Like Spectrum isometric games, like Head Over Heels and hmm. stuff like that. Is anyone familiar with that stuff? So it's very much aimed at that era for in terms of its nostalgic references there's references to like Commodore 64 games and US Sinclair magazine and all that sort of stuff sweet I was a fetus yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah. so st- so the nostalgic side of it hasn't really got me but uh, that's minor really it's just a few background jokes and stuff really it's just a it's a platformer um, where the kind of levels are uh, each screen is like a little diorama viewed isometrically sort of floating in space and every screen is like a different platforming challenge and it's kind of it's not no one near as good a platformer as like some of the recent Mario games because I, mean, I mean who honestly how can one person making an indie game be as good as Nintendo yeah but it reminds me of it in the sense that every room does something different and I've you know I've played it for quite a bit now and I've probably seen hundreds of rooms and everyone does something different um, in terms of just the the obstacle or the puzzle or whatever but basically it's just a platform where you just go from place to place there's a focus on puzzle solving um, but it gets really hard uh, so in, inspired by those old games in in many ways one of them is difficulty uh, and it's a game where you die lots and lots and lots um, but yeah it's, it's, it's a weird one there's not that much to say about it it's quite straightforward but it, it's just it's just well designed and um, yeah, if you like platforming games in it in the purest form, uh, as in like really 
tricky jumps and timing and yeah then it's it might be worth looking at but i've not fully formed an opinion on it yet i'm going to finish the review after this yeah, yeah decide what i think about it but you did mention on twitter that every time you die the but are yeah. you a wizard? Is that what? You're a little wizard, yeah. And he makes an annoying noise. Yeah, what, how what, annoying <clears throat> is that? And can you do an approximate can, yeah. impression of the noise? When you every so, you you die lots, and it resets you back to the entrance of the room. So there's two things that are annoying about this. One is a crime a lot of games commit as well. Your your respawning isn't instantaneous. Mm. You know, in those games where you die a lot and you appear back at the entrance, and it's got a delay. To play an animation, how annoying is that? You mm. want it to just instantly appear back at the door, so you got to watch this little teleport animation that takes like a second, which doesn't sound like much, but when you're repeating the really hard bit over and over again, that second just is so frustrating. And then the second thing is he makes a really stupid dying noise, and I've heard that thousands of times today. <laughs> there was one one puzzle I just couldn't, uh, one platforming section I was just finding really difficult because the the forced isometric perspective makes it quite difficult to to gauge distances mm. between stuff. Oh, wow. um, yeah. which is quite annoying. You can play with a, th- a traditional analog stick run around 3D Mario type cam uh, control system or you can do a uh, D-pad as in f- stuck to a grid. Um, but I p- kind of prefer the 3D one and that makes it a bit harder because you can't be as precise with your jumps. Hmm. Um, I mean, the, d- the developer told me he plays it with a keyboard. He just uses the arrow keys for that precision. But yeah, he makes whenever he dies, he goes... That's exactly it. I was quite impressed by it. <laughs> that, that, that does that sound like an old school kind yeah. of dying effect as well yeah. in the game. Yeah. And ev- so you imagine hearing, ooh, ooh, and you're in a bit of a really frustrating bit. You're swearing, you're, you're pissed off, and then you're waiting on that little one second delay to respawn, and I'm going, ooh, ooh. Sounds like you're doing a remix. You're going to do that and put the lyrics yeah. of Hotline Bling in between it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that's the only thing I, I dislike about it. It's driving me nuts, that oh. noise. How, how's the art style like? Is it, uh, it, is it a good-looking game? Yeah, it's kind of it's hard. It's hard to. It's got a, a really good like physicality to it. Like um, all the like blocks and stuff feel really chunky and it's really polished. And like you know, when you get a sense that a game's just you don't see any glitches or anything. It's just super tight and everything looks solid and and, and nice. It's it, it's good in that respect. Um, but it's quite basic. I mean, it's it's just all the all the rooms look vaguely the same. There's, there's some slight thematic changes. There's an ice world where you're doing all these uh, really hard platforming challenges, but oh, on a slippy, on slippy floor. Surfaces, God. Yeah, and sometimes the slippy surfaces are moving, and it's hard to and you're trying to jump on them from an isometric perspective, and it gets really difficult. But oh, it does look quite nice actually. Like it looks a bit like it's um, a, it a pretty game. It looks a bit like a game you'd get a demo okay, of yeah. with the um, PC yeah. Gamer cover disc in about ninety ninety nine. Yeah, um, but it has got a lot of modern. And, uh, it's built in Unity, I think, so it's got a lot of like modern reflections and lighting and stuff. You've That's got cool. a little wand that um, lights up and it casts a glow around the level, and you can, and like fire and stuff casts shadows. So it's got like it's got that simplistic look of an old school game, but with like modern shaders and. Mm. effects which I, I like that combination so yeah I certainly I, I that's not how I pictured it at all because no, no, when yeah. you said it was sort of like C64 references yeah. and stuff yeah, yeah, I yeah. thought it would look a bit more like nah, it's, yeah it's an isometric thing and yeah it's fully 3D and, and stuff it's just inspired by those games which were isometric but yeah and, and he made all that himself like he did all the art himself yeah and I think someone did the music someone helped him QA test to be a did it all himself some guy some guy came in and did the noise oh god Oh, readers are going to hear that forever now. Yeah. Stop, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, start, we'll start giving us one-star reviews on iTunes. Yeah. 
Um, okay, cool. That's I'm just simulating the frustration that I'm feeling. That's fair enough. For the listener. Okay. To draw them into the experience. Well, if someone could mod that out for Andy, that'd be cracking. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, just like how I, uh, I think everyone, everyone in the world has got rid of all of the origin notification noises, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those. Boop. Strike UK is playing Battlefield 4, <laughs> which is all. Oh, that's what he's always doing. <laughs> that's, what, that's the only thing that ever happens on Origin. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes. Uh, cool. Okay, Lumo then. That's uh, that's out on uh, today uh, when you're listening to this or whenever this was published. Uh, so good. Uh, so the last thing we're going to talk about today is uh, The Witcher 3's Blood and Wine expansion. Uh, delaying the podcast by a day so we can uh, have Tom talk about it. Uh, the illustrious Tom Senior, um, who's been playing it all weekend. Um, I Geralt it. goes to Tuscany or whatever it is. Geralt goes to on. France. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the final expansion for The Witch 3 is um, a kind of uh, it's set in uh, kind of France, but fairy tale France, where there's kind of a, you know, big white castles everywhere, but these, these gorgeous sunny landscapes. And it's a, a welcome break from the misery and, and death and destruction of the, Witch, the rest of The Witch 3's world. Uh, and it's, a, it's about the size of uh, a third of The Witch 3, again. Wow. Uh, so it's huge, and it's got about well they they advertise thirty hours of extra play, ninety quests, and uh, but all I've done so far is finish the story. I need to go back and kind of do some more of the side quests, and uh, the story is brilliant. It's really really good story about vampires and duchesses and complicated assassination plots and twists and turns Those are all of my favorite and things. and more vampires and maybe another duchess and uh, maybe another kind of uh, yeah curses uh undead things uh, a really amazing dark story about a white in there which i won't spoil for you so it's, uh, it's not a uh, it's not so even though it kind of looks a little bit kind of like less dour than the witcher 3 it it, it has the same tone it's some proper grim it's got some stuff in really there, so. dark moments in fact one possibly the darkest moment of the entire uh witcher 3 experience do wow. they do they one up the uh what is the, the quest that everyone bangs on about oh, the, the uh, bloody baron yeah yeah that matters uh i think that's one of the darkest quests in the witcher 3 right um because it involves uh a, a aborted child coming back as a creature which is I don't know where you go from there really <laughs> what new depths do you plumb in the kind of uh, horror or you do like states. three of them standing on each other's shoulders <laughs> in a long coat in a giant trench coat <laughs> <laughs> sorry that's quite trying bad trying to taste. buy wine from your vineyard <laughs> we're definitely over 18 <laughs> uh, okay cool well uh, we, we've uh you know, eliminated the uh, hey, we've nuances to, of that quest. We've got to justify the explicit tag on iTunes. So. <laughs> that's true. There's your one naughty joker every every month. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's, uh, that, that's kind of what it plays with. It's, it's this um, this land of chivalry and sunshine and good wine, and the the peasants aren't all diseased and on the verge of death and living a horrible existence. They're actually, you know, quite having quite a nice time. But below the surface, there's all this stuff, all these machinations, machinations, and all these kind of horrible curses at play and uh, you're the guy who's got to sort it all out are there new creatures in there as well yeah loads of new creatures uh, lots of new vampires lots of one of the coolest things about the witcher 3 is that because you're a witcher and a witcher if you don't know uh, it's basically just a monster hunter for hire a kind of mercenary who goes around uh, taking people's coin to kill a wyvern or a griffin or whatever bothering the local countryside uh, so he he gets to go he gets to go everywhere in the world that he visits Geralt. So that's one of the most interesting things about him as a character mm. is that he has a good reason to be in any room because he, his services might be needed. So you get to talk to people at the top and the people at the bottom of society and also see all the mystical shit that happens below below the surface. And it makes you feel really kind of empowered and makes you feel quite special that you're 
you, you, you know what, what's really going on here. See everyone's dirty little secrets. Absolutely. One of the one of the great things about like the, the other great thing about like the mercenary thing is it's one of the few RPGs where you're not made to feel evil for asking to be paid for your services. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, there's uh, new Gwent cards as well, right? And yeah, there's Nilfgaard. Yes, tell me about Gwent, Tom. <laughs> uh, there's a Nilfgaard deck. Uh, so an entire new deck of cards that you can lose to and collect and stuff like that. And there are Gwent tournaments and things in Tucson, which is the new yes. arena. And uh, you can um, there's there's like tourneys there. Kind of uh, you can join those and take part in those, and they'll give you like you get to design your crest to an extent and cool. give you like plate armor for it and you become basically a, sh a chivalrous knight for a little bit and oh. uh, they, they play they just have so much fun with with Geralt and with the world uh it looks absolutely beautiful some of the most beautiful places they've done have they made like some upgrades in the engine to make it look better as well is that i, I don't know it looks did i make that amazing up, uh, i saw a news story once saying those that they were working on an upgrade with 30 percent more vegetation or something. <laughs> i think instead of reading the story i just looked at the picture of gerald in the bath and they, uh, <laughs> yeah. and they just uh, carried on yeah, just, yeah. Uh, nodded sagely <laughs> yes <laughs> Um, so it's a, it's a real love letter then to people who love The Witcher Three. It's like it's here's, here's, your, here's your swan song. If you know. like The Witcher Three, uh, it's an absolute must play. It's, it's, it does everything that The Witcher Three does brilliantly, and because uh, it's a, the quest, it's the main quest itself is about probably ten or eleven hours. Mm. It's a really kind of it feels much leaner than The Witcher Three, and the story and the, the storytelling and the variety throughout the main quest is, is absolutely excellent. Uh, and you, you go to you do so many different things and meet so many. Their, their writing's really good now. I think like their, their their characterization is really strong, and you really feel like you've met those people and you, you've kind of been in their world for a bit. So top top RPG. It's an interesting because like it's a payoff because you get that because uh, what you lose for for getting that is is a degree of decision making and an ability to affect the plot. Okay. So the Witch Three is always more of a kind of linear experience than, for example, a Bioware RPG. But it feels like. For losing that element of choice, you get so much in terms of kind of world texture and mm. uh, and everything else that it's it's a worthwhile payoff. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Wow. Uh, and then I guess it's going to be years until we see what CD Projekt does next in terms of large scale RPGs. Yeah, we see uh, they're they're doing um, cyberpunk. Yeah, yeah. That feels like it's still years. Yeah, it does yeah. feel like it's going to be a Absolutely. long way off. Absolutely. But uh, still very very exciting. So They've got this. We'll, we'll go back to the Witcher universe. They've I know they said this is Geralt's last adventure. But yeah, I, I think that. There's, always, there's every chance. Like, if Cyberpunk doesn't uh, do as well as The, the Witcher, I mean, then The Witcher 3 done so well. For yeah. Them, like, more so than it. And, and deservedly so, because it's better than the previous yeah. two games. It's they put better. a lot of money on the line to make it as well, right? They spent, like, a fortune. So it's a real yeah. gamble, you know? Mm. Like, um, mm. So, yeah, good, good for them. You know? I'm so glad it's done well, because it means that. Uh, remember, pre Skyrim days. I think a lot of people thought that the the single player big fantasy RPG was dead mm -hmm. and that no one would play them, which um, proved to be complete nonsense. Because since then, since Skyrim and The Witcher Three, like it's millions of people love that stuff. Yeah, for sure. And like um, the other thing is, I think that their their sort of cachet is so high now that um, even if you know Cyberpunk might not do as well as The Witcher initially, but it might be like a Fallout Three situation where people just you know know the developer rather than just the series, and, yeah. and that's enough to you know if people see a a cyberpunk city made with the, those sorts of visuals. I mean, that's such an exciting prospect. Isn't yeah, it? definitely. It is really exciting. And I bet they're sick of um, modelling goats and things. <laughs> so give them a break. Yeah, sick yeah. of that. I know. Goats. Oh. I think that's just. Yeah, I think that's been like in pre-production for a while. But I guess mm. like now they've got the entire team moving on to yeah. it, and they've got this team in place as well. They, you know, they scaled up massively to make that that game, and now yeah. they've got this. They've got their this engine whole... as well, which is the main thing. So the Witch Two, it's one of those difficult situations where developers have to develop a new engine alongside their new product at the same time, when they're still kind of developing their tools as well as developing the game, which is uh, always really, really must be really hard, I imagine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Oh, very exciting then. I look forward to playing that. Yes. Andy, are you much of a Witcher fan? Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. How do you get to it? It's kind of end game thing, so I imagine the quest pops up when you're a certain level. I was going to say, yeah, because I didn't get that far through The Witcher, despite playing it for like 40 hours. Mm. I just wandering spent around. too much time wandering around. So I, I, I would have like it. I would like it if I could just dive straight into this and just enjoy it as a standalone kind of. It's interesting because it, for the review build, they gave you the option to start with with a level like 30 Geralt with ah, okay. it, so you could assign all the points but I'm not sure that will be available to yeah. people who are buying it unfortunately because I've had a great experience with, with just starting a new character sorry I keep calling him Gerald by the way I don't Gerald. Know I, I, Gerald. <laughs> Gerald of Rivia I've played Witcher 2 for like uh, 40 hours I've played Witcher 3 just for 10 so far so I've got a long way to go yeah. but like I, I know that's not how you pronounce his name and I don't know why I keep doing it wrong so, <laughs> so I apologise I think um, for people who are starting the Witcher 3 uh, it's really super grim for the first 10 yeah. hours but it gets brighter and brighter I would say um, yeah. it's worth sticking with it yeah yeah I'm going to stop playing old PS2 RPGs now and just uh, <laughs> yeah. get through I think yeah. um, modern what? RPGs oh, good stuff alright well there'll, there'll be a review of that online probably now actually as you're uh, listening uh, to this yep, so, unless yeah. I've failed at my job <laughs> uh, there will be a review yeah good stuff okay cool we'll be back after the break with a, a few reader questions Welcome back. Here are some reader questions. Um, if money were no objection, I assume that means object, actually. Um, <laughs> sorry, for, sorry about that. <laughs> what is your favourite uh, collector's edition package? See, I read um, this as us coming up with if money was no object and we could produce a dream uh, collector's oh, yeah. edition. Maybe that's a, a funnier way of answering it. Yeah, possibly. That's from... Because uh, <laughs> uh, his question was this instead. Yeah. Instead saying. of what are our favourite collector's editions. I mean, <laughs> because obviously it's the World in Conflict one that came with a bit of the Berlin Wall. Yeah. Yeah. Did, that, re- did that really happen? Yeah. That literally happened. Wow. I mean, what, yeah. a, what a waste of time. <laughs> um, the 2000s were a strange time. Yeah, for sure. I remember that, um, I think Far Cry 2 came in like a wooden chest. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. Uh, Anno 1404 came with a bag of seeds and some some various <laughs> compass, I think. And yeah, I remember the... Um, I think G- the ramen seeds. Really? It was weird. That's it was amazing. a GTA 4 like, locker box. Like yeah. You could tell it was the time before the recession. Like, <laughs> it's just mad, mad spending. Just, yeah. just get a steel case on the art book now, don't you? What's the world come to? Yeah, it's true. I, uh, do you know what? I... One of my favourite collector's editions was the um, it was a Bioshock Two one, which came with this. Um, yeah, oh, that I, came with the vinyl. That. Yeah, it yeah, came yeah, with the vinyl on like a like a butterfly um, coloured box that glowed glo- yeah. uh, glo- uh, up in the dark. And then there was uh, also this lovely art book, like a proper, like the definitive art book as opposed to like twenty pages of one you'd then have to buy mm. from like Dark Horse or whatever. Yeah, I kept mm. that book because it's got like actual words in it about the art instead of just a lot of nonsense printed on yeah yeah developer commentary textless yeah it was really good it's called deco devolution yeah and it was, uh, which is a, a that's nice, in my uh, bookcase that's a, that's where it earned its place in my bookcase that yeah it's good it's yeah, your pc here. game bookcase andy has his own pc game oh no no the real no my good one at home not oh, the right. pc game bookcase which is where we all the rubbish isn't the there rubbish a, isn't there a force yeah. unleashed 2 adaptation <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that's a that's a many games to book that's an indicator of the quality of the pc game bookshelf it's got another adaptation of a force unleashed sequel God, it's uh, it's the it's the the most tepid library you could ever imagine. <laughs> you, hours of boredom. You know, if, you, if you if you were at someone's like house party and they had that library, you'd be like, I've got to leave now. I've got I've got, I've got nothing in common with this man. It's got the hot, it's got um Copy it's got it. the prequel to the uh, Homefront, the book prequel to the first Homefront. The one that's as well. apparently oh, written by John Millius. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. 
maybe, maybe one week instead of music between breaks, we should have someone do the audio version. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Force Unleashed Two. Yeah, we should maybe, read out yeah. excerpts from. Something. Yeah, yeah should, I, that'd be a good. I'll bring it. I'll bring it down next time. Dramatic we can all reading. read a, an amusing excerpt from a terrible video game book. Fantastic. Do you know what? I've actually, inter- I've actually interviewed the author of that adaptation. Uh, I quite. I mean, it was it must have been a slow month, or I was trying to get a new story out <laughs> or something. He's a nice guy, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you're desperate for page space. <laughs> they I'm should. Um, they should have. Uh, speaking of dream collects editions they could do a witcher 3 one that comes with a bottle of wine and a bottle of blood <laughs> whose blood whose blood <laughs> nice. that's it just a bit just a bottle of blood pig's blood oh. well, that's an interesting idea uh <laughs> because, the, because, the, because the game's called blood and wine you see i want to which one which one if they do it retroactively which one are they going to release for hearts uh what was it called the other the, hearts of stone it was hearts of stone just a yeah, bit, just, uh, just a, a stone shaped like, like a heart yeah, that's less. <laughs> I, want, I want a uh, a roach called horse <laughs> you want a cockroach yeah, called no, horse. That's, that's what i want for my witcher special edition um, I, do you know what? I think it would be it would have been really cool to have um, for the Fallout Four one of those uh, Silver Spectre in game. Was it Silk Spectre? I don't think Watchmen, aren't I? Is it Silver Spectre? What's it called? Silver oh, Shroud. That's Silver it. Shroud. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I am getting mixed up with Watchmen there. Um, yeah, yeah uh, Silver Shroud, kind of like uh, comic books that uh, yeah. are in the game, like uh, just to see what they would look like. Oh, that's or, a good idea. Yeah, that's yeah, a cool idea. Yeah, yeah, or like a poster or something. Um, yeah, I don't know. Wasn't there I'm an not... ed- edition of Papers, Please that came with the stamps? That's mm. quite a cool idea. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't know when I'd ever stamps. use them, but you yeah. know, <laughs> you're not coming in to my house. <laughs> Gwent's deck, a real working Gwent deck. Yeah. Yes. Did one, didn't they? Did there they? Is... <laughs> did, they, did, they, did they ever actually bring that out, though? Or are they, they should still talking that. about doing that. I think there were one <laughs> version that you could... Actually, what it was is if you pre-ordered one physical version of The Witcher, you got a code for... Stop laughing at my <laughs> Well, <Wow>, interesting. <laughs> I got halfway through the sentence and got really sorry, confused Bill, about whether I was saying a real thing, and <clears throat> that came out in my time. Please carry on. Anyway, um, yeah, I think if you bought a physical edition, you got a code that let you buy an actual physical Gwent set from a separate thing. It looked like a really complicated system. I just what I want to do is just throw forty pounds yeah. at something yeah. and have a Gwent set. That's it. I have every card of, in the game. Imagine having a full deck of triple triad cards. Final yeah, Fantasy they did exist, um, but uh, they were only in Japan, and they're really hard to get hold of now. Because uh, after writing a thing on Final Fantasy VIII, I thought, I wonder if this is a thing I can yeah. buy. It's like ten pounds just to buy the Squall card, and it's like wow. for one card. Huh? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I would um, if I had a triple triad or a Gwent deck. I would sit in random local pubs in Bath <laughs> and wait for people to come and challenge me. Wait, you so have to wear one of those peasant hats. I'll wear a yeah. peasant hat and I'll, I'll uh, smell the smoke. Some, some yeah. flies buzzing around some me. Some heavily armed man walks into a pub in Bath. <laughs> I'm there. We're going to play with uh, with rules from Bath's region and <laughs> Bristol's region. <laughs> random rule? This yeah. is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, you have to go to Bristol to spread the rule. <laughs> yeah. That's so, it's such a nerdy uh, in-depth yeah, joke. Someone will get that. Yeah, someone. I like cloth maps as well with yeah, fantasy that's RPGs. Good. That's that's cool. Um, but like, I, generally, I don't really like having tat around unless it's really good tat. Statues, yeah. I'm not really into. Like, uh, you always I, look rubbish of statues. The faces always look wrong. Like <coughs> sort of smudged version of a, of the character you know, <laughs> rushed out of some Chinese manufacturing plant. <laughs> Was, I don't know where this came from, but there was a period when uh, me and Tom Senior lived in a flat together where there was a very oh, creepy-looking yeah. Geralt head. From, is that, was that yeah. from Witcher 2? It was a Witcher 2 stuff? Geralt bust, and it yeah. was sat on a mantelpiece staring at us. So I was sleeping on the sofa for a while, and he was just there looking over me. I always assume that those yeah, that busts are there for some sicko to jizz onto. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, why else would you have them? You know, like, uh, I don't know. Well, certainly the, the Dead Island uh, collects edition that got cancelled. Well, 
that was a that, busted a very different yeah, sense of the word. And that was probably designed for that use. <laughs> Well, very uh, sick people. Thankfully, that was, uh, that was never produced. And I assume there's just a landfill somewhere with loads of these <laughs> yeah, female yeah. See, zombie that, busts. That's in, what in depresses there. me about special yeah. editions: is that all these terrible plastic models will outlive us all. <laughs> <laughs> that's, not what, that's not what I was expecting. We'll, is the end we'll, of the story? <laughs> we'll all be Good. we'll all be gone, and and the, the, those plastics will be oh, sitting there. Trust some, trust you yeah. to take fluffy marketing <laughs> by the way, the abyss. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the abyss. I am um, at I, some point, and it may be after the podcast. We're going to have to have a conversation, Sam, about how you think busts are there to be jizzed on. <laughs> I'm not saying that's their only purpose. I'm just saying that, like, uh, that to a lot of people, that must be it. Like, um, I know you sometimes see that you see them with, like, I don't know, like uh, Harley Quinn and stuff, and I'm like, who, who's buying that for what purpose? You know, I don't know. Busts are, are there so that you pull them down and then a secret door opens. Yeah, that's yeah. what busts. Are yes, for. that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, yeah, fair enough. But uh, no, I don't know. I also kind of wanted, a, I sort of wanted a, the Batmobile from Arkham Knight in some form, yeah. only, if only to remember the worst part of that game <laughs> <laughs> that was badly ported to PC. What about like a, a Riddler trophy that lights up green? Like that's a light? A nice that's a cool idea. Okay, I, I, I bet I, someone thought about that at Warner Brothers and they just didn't go we could hide, hide it in increasingly <laughs> contrived situations yeah. in, in the office. I guess I just don't want anything that's going to harm my chances of making it work with a long term partner. Like, you know, that's just it's always something I want to consider <laughs> as a man. She, you, you bring someone home and she says, Oh, you're the Riddler. Well, it's off then. Can't be dating the Riddler. <laughs> oh, it happens to me all the time. You yeah. have you, way too many busts on that shelf and now I'm suspicious of it. You've got one of those glass cases and it's just full of Dead Island. Uh, zombie bikini busts like 14 of them <laughs> well yeah I mean you know, I, can not... e- I can explain <laughs> no actually no, no. I can't <laughs> explain that's that sort of like really sort of like nerdy stuff if you've just got a sort of Trojan horse into a relationship you know like oh do you, do you think I'm vaguely interesting to hang around great here's a list of all the terrible things that I do I've, <laughs> so I've, that sound incredibly that sounds so dark <laughs> I've got a model of um, Dallas from Alien and his full space sit on my desk and a girlfriend so <laughs> Get you a man who can do both. <laughs> yeah. So you know, there's there's, there's, there's room in your all. yeah there's room in your life for for the nerdy plastic models of of, of pop culture things you like. Oh and yeah, other human beings. Oh no, I've got plenty of nerdy stuff, but most of it I can hide in like one drawer in my house. So you know, like um, Alan Partridge's drawer. <laughs> any, anyone tries to open it, you dive in and. You, did Slide anyone ever shot. find out what was in that drawer? Apparently, it's uh, just to get on a complete yeah, tangent. I think sorry. Our, yeah, uh, I think Armando Unit. She said it was like really bad pawn okay so. oh fair enough good well that's uh, there you go, there go. another <laughs> one for the imdb trivia page um okay cool so well, i think we answered that question um, <coughs> if you can have a single gun from any game what would it be probably gotta be the portal gun right well i was oh, gonna yeah. say the portal gun but then i thought look if i had that i would definitely be dead in like three <laughs> minutes yeah. you need those special bouncy shoes yeah, well yeah but then sometimes you're just landing on your face or slamming yeah. into a wall those shoes would do nothing <laughs> but i like i would open a portal to the top of the hill in bath where i live and then like uh just sound of walk out the side of a pub and like oh i'm home now brilliant <laughs> sorry i feel like there's about two sentences missing from that whole explanation but um i don't know what else the gravity gun might be good but again i do a lot of damage with yeah that you're good for a moving house in my mind you were moving the entire house with the gravity move your entire house literally yeah, moving house I remember when um, someone, someone has asked me this question before and uh, I answered like there was um, the, the console game Ratchet and Clank there's a, a gun that's just a, a frog that burps in people's faces and I answered <laughs> that and they instantly regretted it because I was like that's a terrible choice <laughs> 
and it's and, I, and one day I told um, Insomniac's Ted Price that story, and he didn't laugh at all. <laughs> like, it was during a photo shoot where I was trying to like lighten the mood a bit, and I told that joke, and it was just the, it went down like a lead balloon. And like, does uh, that reflect worse on you or on Insomniac? Oh, Ted definitely Price? me, definitely mm. me. Ted Price is a very nice man, uh, but definitely on me. Uh, but no, I think now, I think now it would have to be the gravity gun or the portal gun, even if I don't use it often. You know, mm. you don't it'd use be nice it. to have it there, wouldn't it? If you owned an actual gun, you wouldn't use it every day, would you? <laughs> you, know, you just use it. Yeah. <laughs> you'd use it occasionally for it's whatever reason. It's just there for special occasions. Yeah, yeah my dream gun. Someone's just broken a shot into your gun. house. <laughs> hey. Yeah, I don't know. I quite like that Tommy gun that fires uh, uh, exploding bullets in Fallout Four. But, uh, no, no takers for Saints Row's dubstep gun. No, oh, yeah. no dubstep's over, man. You know, I just it need to be another genre of music now. Easy listening hey, gun. I'm pretty sure they released <laughs> jazz different gun. genres as jazz DLC. Gun. Did they really? Like, yeah, really? it's like microtransactions, different genres of music. Oh, good. I, I like how they, they were that by doing that they were saying, "Don't worry, we've already thought of all <laughs> the jokes." Hey, you know? yeah. Well, yeah, not only that, but like. What we'll do is we'll put the most obnoxious music into the game, and then people will want to pay money to get rid of it. Don't yeah. actually pay for jazz. The yeah. First recorded incidents of one paying for <laughs> this, jazz in decades. This is how we bring back jazz into the mainstream. I like how, the idea that you fi- the easy listening gun, where you fire it and it plays like the Lighthouse Family lifting. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All the enemies just chill for a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Again, I think we've answered that in a in a not ridiculous fashion. Um, with the way that uh, Microsoft seems to be heading with Windows 10, do you think Xbox One could ever be seen as a cheap gaming PC in future? That's from Adam Hewitt. Um, I don't think so, no. Um, mm. Just because you, I can't ever see you getting Steam on uh, Xbox yeah. One. As like, long as it's closed off as a platform like Xbox, I don't think it could ever be considered a... PC. It's a nice idea that like um, consoles could double as like a like a, a cheap gaming PC. Like um, it's a way to play those games in a more affordable way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, similar graphical fidelity. Yeah. So like as an entry level thing, I don't see. I have no uh, you know no no moral objection to them yeah, doing yeah, that. No, I just said never will. But hmm. if you look at the fath with them, um, how long it's taken to get like all the backwards compatibility compatibility sorted from the Xbox 360 yeah. how slow that process is you've got to think well they're, they're, none of these companies are in the, uh, have the sort of infrastructure where they're, where they're around to sort of really push those things that don't have a tangible benefit but are just <coughs> nice to have yeah. and are quite quite an important facet of PC gaming yeah for sure so I think it's probably a, probably a no to that one um, but uh, yeah as you're all writers for the well established magazine PC Gamer? <laughs> Sorry, it, 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 it forgot his own publication. <laughs> <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't have the PC Gamer line in there, so I just added that. Um, when you meet those who aren't familiar with the video game industry, what are their typical reactions when they find out what you do? Has that led to any amusing moments so far? That's from Johnson. Um, I, uh, I've i had a few... I, don't, I kind of The reaction is from old people, they don't really get it, no. and from uh, including my family, who bought the first magazine I ever worked on and then didn't read any others, <laughs> which I thought was fair enough. Um <laughs> And then, like, uh, yeah, no, nothing really that interesting happens to me. I don't, I don't consider myself that special. I just try and make a good magazine each month. I used to have a bit of a complex about it when I started, like, not wanting, wanting to tell anyone. Oh, did you tell especially, people, hey, I'm a writer. Yeah, especially girls. I'd never, I'd never <laughs> want to say what exactly I did. I'd, I'd say, oh, I write for a magazine and pray that they didn't say, oh, what magazine? Yeah, but, but now... I don't give a shit, and, I, and I'm ha- I'll happily tell anyone because it's probably more interesting than what most people who ask that do for a living so yeah. I, it's, it's, I see it now as a as, it's, it's a nice conversation a cool starter yeah. sometimes yeah. I get like recently with my extended, visiting my extended family one of them looked at me and go you're still doing your blogging <laughs> <laughs> I was like, 
do I have, yeah. do I no I'm not going to explain it's like no, I'm not going to explain this you <laughs> get the you, it's a it's a cliche but for a reason where you get people going I see you sit around and play games all day that's a jokey thing that people say people say but people do say it I think and people do <laughs> believe it like yeah. people believe that's what happens yeah, yeah it's sort of and that sort of stuff's about I don't know 5% of the time maybe yeah. maybe 10 sometimes I usually yeah, just say yeah and I get paid for it and it's, actually, <laughs> it's brilliant what spend, do you do yeah. loser <laughs> I'm going to get to spend the next week playing Overwatch and that's a real treat for me because it's quite rare that you get to just focus on one thing for a while and yeah hmm. it's sort of um it's led to some interesting conversations if you know like um i meet a lot of students who say oh yeah most of my friends want to do what you do and that's cool um but uh yeah i don't know it's uh nothing that interesting ever really happens to me yeah there's been no <laughs> you see sometimes people's eyes glaze over but the, the other day i met a guy who designs uh playgrounds and i was like i felt like what people might feel like when i say i write about games i was like that's amazing. That's pretty cool. That's a cool job. How yeah. often do you meet someone that does that? That's true. Like my, my favourite people who don't know what I do, but then pretend they do, are when you go to GDC and there's like a guy, there's like infinite guys in suits who come up to you and go, <laughs> oh, hey, uh, where are you from? Oh, big fan, big fan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they'll yeah. offer no specifics. That guy, yeah. They're like, um, that guy. Yeah. I've, yeah, they're just sort of, I think they're just procedurally generated, those guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I, I, uh, weirdly at Rezzed, which is a UK... Um, game show that's held every year uh, somebody somebody just grabbed me for no reason and went I recognise you where do I recognise you from and I said oh Phil Savage from PC Gamer and I think he misheard or like just got the wrong end of the stick and just said thought I was introducing myself as Phil Savage someone who is a PC gamer <laughs> and plays PC games oh me too <laughs> so yeah so we, we, he tried placing me for another 10 minutes and he goes uh, said something that clearly demonstrated that he had no idea where I was what my job was or why it's like what, what, what do you mean you work in magazines no I literally said that to you <laughs> I I will say one thing actually like when I um I remember when I played Alan Wake I had a moment of realisation that when Alan Wake introduced him itself in that game he goes I'm Alan Wake I'm a writer I realised that that's how I introduced myself <laughs> prior to that when people asked me what I did and I was like Whoa, what a wanker oh, no. that's like Alan so, Wake's so a wanker and that's that. what I sound like he yeah. takes any opportunity to go I'm a writer yeah that was yeah. me from 2007 <laughs> to 2010 but yeah are you the only person who learned a life lesson from Alan Wake oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I guess so you know there's plenty of other things to take away from that game like I don't know write yourself out of the situation you've yeah. got yourself into if buy it goes a, wrong buy a flashlight that's more economical with battery power <laughs> yeah it doesn't go out every three minutes yeah uh i don't know um i know don't go on holiday with your wife i don't yeah. know <laughs> to, to, to an, an island in the middle of a lake that's not really there yeah yes these are, these are all good <laughs> always good go advice. to real places yeah. <laughs> i think that answers the question tom have you got any uh no, nothing, nothing different from what you said. I, I would say that um, reactions are slowly getting better from when I started doing it. I think it's, uh, it's been yeah. the, the kind of uh, the geek in a dark bedroom thing is actually dissolving pretty yeah, rapidly. Yeah, that's true. Uh, which is that. good. Being on PCG as well, it's like <coughs> it's you know it's respected and people know what it is and it's been around for a long time. So it's you know it's a people nice. People always kind of saying. vaguely recognise it because mm. they've kind of seen it on newsstands and around for. For twenty years, yeah. <laughs> so or it's kind on, of there on Netflix it. recently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. As seen in Ricky Gervais's special correspondence, yeah, which I've not seen in. Uh, here yeah, it's not no, very good. Which he, he, he very, <laughs> but the bit where he buys PC Gamer, he says it really loudly. Have you got like, a PC Gamer? <laughs> <laughs> It's exactly like that, yeah. and like um, it sounds like we paid for it, but nope, no, nope, no that was free. That was they, free. they actually inside info. They actually got us to send them an issue of the mag, and you don't actually see it on screen. So you can see must... the you can see the back of it. It's a US edition. Yeah. I think there's an Origin PC ad on the back. Do you like, think the director uh, went, "Yeah, lose the magazine." 
get that out of, out of, out of the frame. We'll save that for the director's cut. Yeah. <laughs> for the three-hour ultimate edition. <laughs> um, but yeah, actually, there's, we won't. I don't think we're allowed to say anything, but I think PC Gamer might be appearing in another. Uh, yeah, we can't say what it is. But we yeah. can't say what it is, but it might be appearing in another piece of high, high maybe higher-profile media. We also a teaser. Asked- they also asked to put it in Orphan Black, but I couldn't mm. send them it in time, so uh, that's missed out. We missed out from in being in Orphan, Orphan Black, Black. Yeah. you know, well-liked uh, sci-fi TV series. Oh, Should have that. sent your clone to deliver it at top speed. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good joke if you know what the show is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, cool. I, I think we've answered that one, haven't we? I like. Yeah. Uh, I don't I know. Don't know. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, I don't know. That's a little bit self-indulgent that one. Yeah, but, definitely. Uh, yeah. yeah, but someone we've did. Gone ask, too, we've so. definitely gone too far this time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so apologies. <laughs> okay. But I have fun. It's a pod- <laughs> That's what's important. It's a podcast. There were all podcasts are self-indulgent. Yeah. It's also it's the Monday it. after deadline, so you'll yeah. probably you'll probably notice every four weeks the podcast gets a bit worse. <laughs> really there must be there must be like a tonal cycle as we, as we get as we approach and then leave leave deadline. I think That's... so. Yeah, I think we all we all realise we can get our lives back on track mm. and uh, all is well. But I should um, say I've I've eaten the M M&M. and M. It occurred earlier, so. But uh, when? But when? Again, send the timestamp to you? PCGamer at futurenet.com, subject line peanuts, and you'll win a copy of Battleborn. Yes. This is the weirdest competition that's ever been run by a large gaming magazine. Peanut M&M mystery. Yeah, when did I eat the peanut M&M? It was delicious, and I really want to eat another one, but I can't because it's, it's, it's bad form to crunch we've, we've peanuts in one, a podcast. We've only got one copy of Battleborn. Like, we, we can't crunch twice. Cause <laughs> yeah. we, no, it's right. You've you announced that it's happened in the past now, so you're free to just go at it. Yeah, well, but just for the, the sake of the listeners, you know, some people have like a phobia of people of the sound of eating, so I don't want to... Yeah, I would do it. Well, thank you for your sacrifice, Andy. <laughs> this week's as soon as this goes, we go off there. I'm eating them damn peanuts. And well, I, I guess you know, which which brings us to the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, really, um, absolutely. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm Samuel W. Roberts. There's also uh, at Octader O C T A E D E R at PCG Ludo. I'm Tom Senior at Ultra Brilliant. That's cool. Uh, we'll be uh, back next week, and uh, we'll be more on task, uh, which will be <laughs> no. good. I don't know. <laughs> um, so and so yeah thank you very much for listening if you want to leave us a review on iTunes uh, that'd be much appreciated but if uh, you don't want to that's fine too uh, our current issue features Dawn of War 3 and it's out now in the UK and the US uh, UK printed copies come with a free copy of Dawn of War 2 which is nice and uh, yeah thank you very much for listening and if you've got any uh, questions for us you can email us at pcgamer@futurenet.com. we'll be back next week Otherwise, the competition is bunko. Yeah, okay, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got laughing. Well, you heard it, All right, okay. Ready? It's a fact, right? <laughs> Good. Okay.